if you don't keep up your relationships with the growers and the producers, like you just can't get good produce because they're they're all so small and they grow such small quantities of things um, that it's just not like widely available out there in the market. A lot of it is going like, come here and just pick it yourself or, you know, come here and pick it up. There's a lot of like driving through the countryside. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huxter. 2020 made us all stop, reconsider how we live our lives, and amongst all the anxiousness, the heartbreak and the trauma, it gave us an opportunity to change and give our lives the semblance of meaning we crave. Some were already on that journey, and the last year only confirmed that they were on the right path. Annalise Gregory has worked in some of the world's and Australia's best restaurants and now lives in Tasmania, cooking, fishing, hunting, and celebrating nature and the slow food life. Annalise, how are you? I'm pretty good today, actually. How is it in Tasmania? You've got a very different life to years ago in um, commercial kitchens all over the globe. You um, settled in Tasmania. What's life like, day-to-day life like for you down there? Um, well, I didn't get back till late last night from the East Coast. I was up there cooking. And then today it's almost too idyllic. It's like really sunny. Um, there's like roosters at the window because I haven't fed the chickens yet. Um, there's like every time I go outside, there's like the goats see me and then like the pigs and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's cute. It's nice. You've had a major life change in the last couple of years and it's been amazing to watch from afar and on Instagram, renovating an old house and growing animals and really connecting with nature and hunting and fishing. What, where did that all start for you? Um, I suppose at the stage when I left Key, I really wanted to work in a countryside restaurant because Key had been really vegetable and supplier focused and I'd gotten really interested in it, but we were still in the middle of Sydney um, and I wanted to, you know, go and like connect with the suppliers a bit more and actually see how all things were growing. So that was, you know, then I abandoned my Sydney life and moved to countryside France. Um, And I suppose it was really there that um, I got into that vibe of like, you know, picking vegetables, going to the garden at Michelle Bra's house, like um, hiking on the weekends, um, all of that kind of stuff. What sort of uh, things you were doing foraging there as well? What sort of things were you finding and cooking that's like quite different to what you might find in Australia? Um, Like in mushroom season, you could just walk into the forest and get seps and morales and chanterelles, like the, for- the foraging there is insane. So I guess prior to that, I'd never foraged before in my life, but I think that was kind of what turned me and that every season there was something else that was really amazing or unique or interesting or valuable or, I don't know, anything along those lines. Did that experience change the way you cook? Uh, it changed the way I cook and it, I guess it changed the way that like I wanted to live as well. Then um, <laughs> after that, I was at Magritte's and I remember I was really stressed one day and um, someone was like, oh, you know, you need to have a happy place inside your head that you go to when it's really crazy and you just retreat there, but still do your job, obviously. Um, and I was like, oh, where is my happy place? And I was like, <laughs> um, I realized that it was um, like outside bras, like in the meadows, like just foraging for flowers. I would put music on and like I was um, part of the foraging team and I would just go out for hours in the afternoon, just like picking things for the Gaikuyu. Yeah. You're you're in Tasmania, which is a beautiful uh, part of Australia. It's its own island as well. How did you end up there? Um I think I was envious of um, David Moyo and Luke Burgess. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds silly now. Um, 
so when I was working at Key, I would come down a lot to Tassie for the weekend. It was always like the spot that I would come to for like R&R to, you know, recharge, climb the mountain, um, you know, drink some nice wines, go to some good restaurants. And I was always really um, struck by how great and how pure and pristine the ingredients seemed. Um, mm. And I kind of have this thing in my life where I feel like there's no point of being envious of other people. You may as well just go and do it yourself if you find yourself feeling that way. Uh yeah, so I was like, I don't know, why do I feel this way? And um, then one day I was working in Sydney and I got a cold call from Ben from Franklin asking me if I'd take over the kitchen. Wow. What was it like running the, the kitchen uh, at Franklin at that time? Because it was, it was such an important restaurant for uh, Hobart's culinary landscape in the last uh, five to ten years. Uh, difficult to take over and to um, go into, to be totally honest, um, especially with like the seasons are slightly different down here, um, like all new suppliers, also moving to another state. Um, it was a lot all at the same time. And I probably kind of did too many hours and, you know, put myself under the pump a bit too much. But, um, but like, it's a beautiful space. The kitchen was great. It was the first time I had cooked with wood on a daily basis. Um, it really, yeah, it changed a lot of things for me. You mentioned that the seasons are a little bit different there. Can you tell us what the connection is like there in Tasmania with chefs and growers? Is it is it a lot different to working in restaurants in, say, Sydney or Melbourne? Um, for a lot of stuff, it's kind of like if you don't keep up your relationships with the growers and the producers, like you just can't get good produce because they're – they're all so small and they grow such small quantities of things um, that it's just not like widely available out there in the market. Um, everything is done by like, you know, it's like a text message or, you know, okay, there's a couple of people that email, but um, a lot of it is going like, come here and just pick it yourself or, you know, come here and pick it up. There's a lot of like driving through the countryside and things like that. And like um, organizing logistics, like, oh, if it's on Bruni Island, how are we going to get it here? Maybe I can meet the ferry and pick it up. There's a lot of that. Wow. What's some of the produce that you've been using a lot more of since moving to Tasmania that you may or not have been using prior to that? Um, well, yesterday um, I was cooking up the East Coast for some people and um, teaching them to cook uh, crayfish, abalone and wallaby. Wow. Um, so I'd used crays before, but not um, not kind of in the quantity that they're available at the moment <laughs> down here <laughs> before. Um, yeah, so definitely those things. But also um, there's growers um, like Paulette from Providence Growers. Like I'd never used skirret before. I hadn't used a lot of ochre. Um, like there's all kinds of things um, like sweet sisley. There's like lots of herbs and lots of things that people grow that I just hadn't really had a lot of access to before. Kangaroo is widely consumed in Australia now, but wallaby not so much. Is Could you tell us how to treat wallaby and, and what? Did, how did you cook it yesterday? Um, yesterday, I really like a wallaby tartar, so I really like to serve it raw. Um, so I did a wallaby tartar with um, like fried buckwheat, um, pickled wild blackberries, um, and wattle seed, because um, they really wanted to learn about Tasmania and Tasmanian produce. And um, also did some skewers as well um, with a little like saltbush furikake kind of thing. Um, but then when I cooked off against Gordon Ramsay, I did raw wallaby and he like cooked like full loins of wallaby and then deglazed them with like a whiskey cream sauce. And I was like, oh, that's so old school. That's never going to work. And it was delicious. It was so good. Yeah. Well, tell us about that experience. He's, he's a very interesting, enigmatic character and you spent some time with him for National Geographic going across Tasmania. What was that experience like? Um, he's, he's actually a really nice guy. It was not like... Um, 
the TV shows at all. It was not like Boiling Point or anything like that. Um, like takes things in really quickly, really fast um, on the pickup about stuff and um, like genu genuinely interested, um, which were not the things that I was imagining him to be. What sort of experiences did you give him like that make, that sort of stand out and sort of exemplify um, Tasmanian produce? Um, he went to collect leverwood honey in the forest. Um, he went trout fishing up at Lake St. Clair, uh, went diving for crayfish with, um, I think it was Shane, actually, that took him in the end. Um, yeah, like a lot of the things. And also just like being out, you know, in the wilderness in Tasmania and like driving to, you know, like little beaches with no one on them that are only like an hour out of Hobart and things like this. He said that it was um, the place that he had been really like genuinely looking forward to coming to. You've uh, been hunting and fishing and foraging, all sorts of interesting things like that. And not that long ago, uh, you turned a deer into um, sausages and also used um, the fur. Like, can you tell us about that whole process of using the whole beast and what it was like to go through that? Um, well, that was kind of accidental. It was just that I happened to be having my birthday on this island with some friends and then they were like, oh, we've shot a deer and it's hanging from the tree. Um, do you guys want it? <laughs> and I was I was like, yeah, I'm just going to have a glass of wine, but I'll be over in a little while. And by the time I made it over to the tree, um, <laughs> some friends of mine had totally broken down the deer and I was like, oh, well, that's done now. <laughs> But um, we cooked some of the loins and things. And also, having been um, like a wild shot deer, I had never received venison like with the fat on it before. Wow. Because it always either A, doesn't exist, or B, gets taken off with the skin or something, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it really reminded me of a photo I had seen from one of the guys at Inua of um, like they posted this picture of this wild deer they were cooking during lockdown and um, with like a really big fat cap on it. And I was like, whoa, that doesn't even look anything like the venison I know. It was like that. It was like a whole different beast almost. Yeah. How different was that to use the fat? Did you approach cooking it differently? Uh, yeah. So I kind of like roasted a loin like the way you would with like veal or pork or something like that. And um, it was really really delicious and unlike other venison I'd had. And then two days later, we made um, heaps of charcuterie with it. This experience, and it's quite life-changing, the real connection with nature that you've been doing in the last couple of years, how has it changed you personally? Oh, um, I'm not sure about the answer to that because I'm just me. So <laughs> I don't really know how much I've changed. Um, I do look at photos, sometimes things crop up of like memories of me in Sydney and I'm like, oh, that was a different time. I was like, yeah, I had much more manicured hair then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you do have a book coming out uh, in the next couple of months um, called How Wild Things Are. Can you take us through um, what that book is about and the process of pulling that together? So I started writing it when I was um, still at Franklin and uh, just wasn't getting anything done at all because of um, the mechanics of running a restaurant five days a week. Um, so it was really just about what I was driven to like talk about and cook at that time was, um, I know it's kind of my love letter to Tasmania, like, you know, why I moved here were the things that brought me to be here. And I didn't want to do a restaurant book because I found that I was buying personally a lot of restaurant books and then just like putting them on the bookshelf and not reading them and not looking at them. Like I kind of, I like the stories, um, but that's a personal thing. 
Uh, so it's a mix of like food, like Chinese things from my childhood, um, recipes that I picked up in London and France that are like my go-tos that I always cook for people at my house and um, things that I cook in Tassie because of the produce here. So I guess like the loose basis of it is like what I cook for people when they come over to my house. Well, let's, you mentioned your childhood just briefly there. Let's go back to there. What what started your interest in, in food? Um, well, my dad's a professional chef, so it may have had something to do with that. Um, and then I just really liked eating. <laughs> um, I, think that's, I think that's about it. I remember like pulling out all of the drawers and using them as a staircase to get onto the bench so I could go into the cupboards and like find things. Um, and then the kind of rule in my house was like, well, you know, like we were the kids that like didn't have McDonald's and, you know, stuff like that and didn't have Coca-Cola and those kinds of things. But it was mm. like, if you could make it, then you were allowed to eat it. So I just started baking heaps of cakes and stuff like that, because I guess that was how, you know, I could up my sugar intake. Well, um, you've carved out an incredible career within some extraordinary restaurants. How, how different is your approach to cooking compared to the days of, you know, tea and margarites? Um, very different. Now it's kind of, it's just purely ingredient based also because cooking in Tasmania kind of, well, it doesn't have to be that way, but it's the thing that makes the most sense to me down here is that you go out and find out what's around and talk to your suppliers and producers and then kind of fuck with it as little as possible and stick some things with it that, that work with it that are complementary. And that's pretty much it. You said that you um, love eating. Um, what is it about the sort of the communal table and sharing food, um, the freshest ingredients that, that you love? Um, I guess it's the conviviality of it. Like when I first started coming down here for the weekends, um, I met Roger and Sue, who are some uh, like French natural wine importers. And um, I was introduced to them and I went to Sue's house for the first time. It was like a big table with, um, you know, with loads of wine and like gouges and like, you know, a, in a garden that doesn't seem like it should be in the center of Hobart, but it is. Um, and I know it just made me feel like I was still in France, that feeling of like having a big table outside and like, you know, the farmhouse aspect of it and like the bounty of produce. And there's something about it that I really love. You mentioned that you um, cooked for some people yesterday and you, you're doing all sorts of cooking things at the moment. What's your thoughts about the restaurant industry? It's It had a pretty horrific year last year and a major impact on many people that you know. Um, what, what's your thoughts about the, the industry moving forward? Uh, I just really hope that it recovers. That's the main thing. Um, like this last, or I suppose it's last year now, made me realise how much I do love restaurants and how much I love like also just being a customer, like I miss them. I miss them so much and so much more than I thought I would. Um, just the act of like sitting somewhere and eating and like that feeling of being looked after um, was the main thing that I remember taking away from it. And then I felt really weird during COVID because I had just a couple, three months prior stopped running a restaurant. Um, and so I wasn't in, I was in a bad space, but not the same bad space as a lot of my peers. Do you see yourself uh, running a restaurant or cooking in a restaurant again, or is your path set in a di different direction now? It's really hard now to reimagine myself um, like doing that or doing, you know, five days a week in the same place because at the moment um, life is very varied and I'm just like, you know, I'm off diving or gardening or farming or, you know, 
doing things and everything has its challenges but it's like every day is different and um i hate routine i hate it so much <laughs> <laughs> well for someone who hates routine it sounds like you're growing animals and you've got a farm and those things do take a bit of routine can you give us a picture of what you have on the property um at the moment i have two pigs two geese um two goats and about uh, 13 to 20 chickens wow that's a handful yeah, I'm trying, I was meaning to get some milking goats, but at the moment I think it's time to just let it sit for a little while. Um, I've got another pig coming in mid-January. Um, yeah, because it's gotten it's gotten a little bit hard to leave the house. <laughs> well, well, now that you have this um, amazing different lifestyle in Tasmania, what's your ideal day there? Oh, um, I suppose today is in many aspects the ideal day just to like wake up at home and go out like have it be beautiful and sunny which it so rarely is in southern tasmania um go out feed all of the things and then i don't know do something where i can like work in the garden and then still still be cooking and still be feeding people because i love that but um but just in a different much less stressful kind of way so at the moment i'm about to put a council application in to try and turn one of my sheds into a 10 seater restaurant Fingers crossed. We'll see how that goes. Wow. That sounds amazing. Um, so purely on my own terms. So I'm thinking like lunch only two or three days a week, 10 people. Wow. That, that could sell out pretty quickly. Hmm. Fingers crossed it works. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned the connection that chefs need to have to farmers and producers in Tassie to ensure that you get the best produce. Which of the Tassie produce stands at the top of the tree for you? Oh, um, I think the vegetables are amazing from all the small organic growers. Um, oysters are great. Like a lot of the, um, the shell, all the shellfish is really good. The finfish is amazing, but it's actually, it's hard to get hold of. And it's very like, um, like hit and miss and kind of, you can never control if you're going to have like fish or not. It's just one of those things that happens or it doesn't. Um, Whereas abalones and crays have already been caught and they have them in tanks somewhere. So that's a bit different. Um, wallaby is amazing. Uh, there's lots of really good lamb. Um, yeah, there's quite, there's quite a few things, but all of that is uh, the honey, um, like all of the unpasteurized wildflower honey. Wow. We mentioned just briefly uh, moments ago that your book does come out in the next couple of months, but, but what's on the horizon for you over the next year? Oh, um, currently about halfway through filming a tv show for sbs food uh, so that's keeping me pretty busy can you tell us any more about that or is that uh, top secret uh no no i think i can um so it's called a girl's guide to hunting fishing and wild cooking um and it's kind of split between we like they come to my house um and we do little things and i ferment and stuff like that and they watch me try and build garden beds and then watch the rabbits and the wallabies decimate and eat everything and then watch me get upset um and the goats jump on the roof and like all that kind of jazz and then um i go out and like you know dive for abalone and visit places that i've always wanted to go to in tasmania that are really beautiful um we go camping um people from the mainland that i know come down and visit um Less so of that than was planned because of what's been happening um, over last year and now this year. Uh, mm. Yeah, but so essentially it's a vehicle for me to, um, I don't know, go out and about around Tasmania, Tasmania and spend time in places that are beautiful with people that I like. Well, the, the circumstances of the last year has um, 
resulted in a boom in regional tourism and Tasmania is um, a big focus for many people. What, what, what should people do to enjoy the real Tasmania if they're going for the first time? Uh, hire a car because like Hobart's a really great walking city, but um, as with anywhere, like the main city is not the place. It's like, you know, Paris is not France. I guess I feel the same way about Tassie. Like Hobart is a part of Tassie, but it's not, it doesn't encapsulate all of Tasmania by any means. Um, so definitely like, you know, drive to a beach with no one on it and sit there and have coffee in the morning. Um, you know, things like this, like drive up the East Coast uh, where it's cold, but like, you know, the water is like, such clear blue that it looks like the Bahamas like just get out and about and explore well that's good advice and I've been there a couple of times as to, it's actually an extraordinary place and 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 it reminds me of New Zealand in many ways as well um Annalise I uh, would love to having you on deep in the weeds good luck with the book that comes out soon and and the um, tv series as well you've got a big year coming up um please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon okay I will good to chat this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.